NFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the AFL Show here on the Mojo Sports Network. My name is Yuri Vilsic. Great to have your company. And as always, we don't have Julian Bautzer on the show this week. He'll be with us next week as we preview round 23. But this week, it's round 22. Three rounds left of the 2023 home and away season. And joining me to preview it is Nathan Jennings. Nathan, hello to you. Gary, how you going, mate? Exciting times. Oh, sure is, right, Nathan. Can't wait till tomorrow night. Collingwood and Geelong, hey? Just another big blockbuster between the two teams. And why don't we kick start it off right there? Because there's so much to get through with these nine games. So we'll start first with the Collingwood in. So Will Hoskin Elliott comes back into the team, as does Billy Frampton. And the two big outs, still Sidebottom, who was ruled out yesterday due to a sore foot. Nick Dacos, of course, out for the next six weeks and most likely won't be back until the prelim final after that nasty knee collision with James Blank early in the third quarter. And Ash Johnson's been omitted, so that's the other big scalp as well out of the Collingwood Best 22 heading into tomorrow night. And Oleg Markov was last week's sub. As for Geelong, Shannon Neal comes into the team as well. Tom Hawkins still out with that hamstring. Jack Henry's the big one. He's out with a foot injury. And Brandon Parfit, who hasn't unfortunately consolidate himself in Geelong's best 22 is the sub and most likely will be tomorrow night. How do we see how the game will be dissected down, Nathan? Because I think we saw in round one, Collingwood's leg speed really caught at Geelong in the second half and really utilised it to their advantage. But I think we've seen the last probably three weeks and Port Adelaide really set about cracking the Collingwood juggernaut code in terms of denying the corridor and forcing a kick down long down the line. And, it seemed to really pay dividends with Carlton and Collingwood implementing the same tactics. Yeah, look, it's, it's an interesting one for me. Obviously, Collingwood, you know, the, the, the team they are, you're always expecting them to bounce back. And I think it's sort of been publicly made known that Craig McRae is looking for answers and, you know, assessing the way that they're playing. You know, no no great team wants to lose two in a row, let alone three or four. Um, so, you know, I think for me, despite Nick Dacos being out, I don't think that changes too much for Collingwood. I think Collingwood's got a lot of plug-and-play players that are ready to come in and sort of, you know, do the job. Like Jordan Ngoi, I can to see coming in and doing that job. Jack Crisp, you know, another one. Taylor Adams we might see injected into the midfield as well. So I think, you know, from a capability perspective, I think Collingwood have the uh, the uh, the players available to them to be able to fill any void that Nick may or may not leave. Um, I also kind of like the Billy Frampton inclusion for Collingwood as well. I think he's probably just lacking a little bit of class from a taller forward. Obviously, he started, well, he was down back at the start of the year when um, Jeremy Howe was out injured, but he's then sort of been swung forward to a more traditional role that he's more familiar with. I do like the inclusion, it's a bit more stability, and it gives you that sort of rush hit out uh, forward as well that he provides. I think for me, Collingwood bounce back. It's a massive game, hopefully a close to a sellout at the G. And, you know, I think I've still probably got my reservations around DeLong. You know, losing Jack Henry is not, never going to help. And no Tom Hawkins, no Mark Blixar's back either. You sort of mentioned about the speed of Collingwood and exposing Geelong at the start of the season. I don't see any reason why that's any different. You know, nothing's changed in Geelong's team since round one drastically, um, except for they've had 21 games and they're probably tired, you know, as are all the teams. So I, I think it was a little bit evident last week against Port Adelaide that they, you know, at times struggle when teams will pace on the ball. Look, Yuri, I don't know what you think, but I, I think this is probably the game that derails the long season and eventually season not playing finals, I think. 
It's a very good point, Nathan, because Geelong haven't been in this situation since 2015, right, where they've had their backs up against the wall. They're fighting for a top eight spot. Well, at the moment, they currently sit ninth on the ladder. But this is basically the same situation there in to what it was eight seasons ago when it basically came down to the second last round and they're playing Collingwood on that Friday night and the past pretty much quashed any hopes of Geelong playing finals for what will have been the 17th straight year. Well, of course, they've made finals in 16 of the last 17 seasons, but back then it will have been, I think, for ninth consecutive season and all hope was lost on that Friday night. So I think no doubt Magpies fans will well and truly know about it and can't see any incentive as to why they should look back on that and try and really drill potentially the final nail in the coffin in that regard. So I think you point on to Nathan about Craig McCrane, just sort of trying to just break it back down. And he talked about there was that particular play, I think of Harry Morrison during the second half and he laid an excellent tackle and I think four or five Hawks players came up to congratulate him. And McRae basically said that was what his side was doing in the first 18 rounds of the season, celebrating those small achievements, whether it be a bone-crunching tackle, whether it be a smother on the boundary line, all those small elements which go such a long way but get unrecognised in the game. So I think that's where they start tomorrow night in that regard in the first quarter. I think it's going to really set the precedent for what happens. And yet again, too, I thought left field as well, Nathan, and it may sound a bit, Crazy. What Melbourne have done with Cosy Pickett this year by throwing him into centre bounces just on the odd occasion, just to mix it up a little bit. It, again, this might sound strange. Bobby Hill, perhaps, just for a short stint, just short, that's all, just to add that extra injection of speed through midfield. And there could be just another little strategy adjustment that can be made come the finals. Because again, this is for Collingwood, it's, it may sound inconvenient to be losing and hitting a bad patch of form at this time but the Collingwood Premiership side of 33 years ago from round 17 to 20 went through that same slump pretty much they lost three or four they got smacked up by Hawthorne by 83 points and of course went on to win the flag so yet again they shouldn't be too disheartened and too concerned about what's going on because if they can rectify those areas come tomorrow night then that should set them a lot to get back on the winners list and albeit potentially crush Geelong's hopes of making yet another finals appearance. 100% agree. I think the fire and the hunger will return to the Collingwood game. I also expect the the Collingwood faithful to be, you know, uh, out in full force tomorrow night as well, understanding the importance of this game in the scheme of their season. And, um, yeah, look, I I actually think this will probably end up being a, a bit of a deficit. I could probably easily see Collingwood pulling away and winning by five or six goals. I think that early sort of, ascendancy that I reckon they'll gain in the game as you sort of said those one percenters and that fire and hunger at the contest uh, will sort of separate the teams early and they won't have to be in a situation where they're chasing the game in the fourth quarter either they've you know been renowned for doing over the last couple of years and yeah I think it could spell the end for the long season unfortunately. Yeah definitely for sure too Nathan in that regard as well just calling for those five ten minute patches can absolutely switch flick a switch and just get going at all costs and leaves opposition opposition side, shall I say, in the rearview mirror. We'll turn our attention now to the first game on the Saturday, starting with North Melbourne, Essendon under the roof at Docklands. It's the second meeting between the two teams after Essendon scraped home by six points, all thanks to the sub Massimo D'Ambrosio, unfortunately, who has been ruled out for the remainder of this season due to injury. So we'll start first with the North Melbourne Lineup changes. So Ben Cunty, of course, announcing his retirement 
at season's end. George Wardlaw comes back into the team. Out for the Kangaroos, Will Phillips has been omitted, as has Robin Hanson Jr., the Subiaco product who was picked in this year's mid-season draft. And Charlie Lazaro, too, has been omitted. For Essendon, Will Snelling comes into a lineup. Jai Caldwell is out for a hip injury. And Alwyn Davy Jr., the sub last week, and most likely will be the sub come the opening bounce. There isn't too much to sort of crunch through here at the moment, Nathan. Of course, for Essendon, they have to win. That's pretty much a formality in a way too. And it didn't help matters too much that they couldn't gain enough percentage because it only sits, at, I think, roughly around 98.3, if I'm not mistaken, on the ladder. And North Melbourne, of course, after well, what's it been the last couple of weeks as well, basically came back and lost the West Coast. And they've just shown glimpses here and there throughout the season as well, even though they haven't won since all the way back in round two against Fremantle. Just how do we assess it in terms for both sides as well, Nathan, for North and then for Essendon too going into the game? Uh, I think for Essendon, they've got to be the desperate team here. You know, we're talking about a potential final spot on the line for them. And the last couple of weeks, specifically last week against West Coast, I don't think they sort of play that desperate, like, want to play final sort of football that you'd expect at this end of the season compared to some of the other teams in the same boat that we've sort of seen. So I think if Essendon any chance, not just to win this game, but to keep their final chances alive, they've got to play that desperate, hungry football. You know, they're hard running off a half back, uh, you know, ferocious tackling through the midfield, those sort of defensive minor things that the um, Brad Scott um, team has sort of been known for a little bit this year. Um from a North Melbourne perspective, I, I think it's all about sending a champion out well. Ben Cunnington has been an absolute staple for that North Melbourne midfield for the last, what, 250 games almost throughout his career and, you know, been an absolute ball in that midfield. And I think he sort of you know, symbolises the chin bonnet spirit. You know, we mentioned that a lot, but I think a player like his uh, elk is very symptomatic of that. And, you know, we sort of saw last season when he returned from um, his, you know, battle with cancer, how emotional it was. And I can only imagine it's going to be the same there. So, look, I don't think North Melbourne win, but I think they put up a really big fight in what will be a highly emotional game for Ben Cunnington and North Melbourne. Um, I just hope that, you know, regardless of the result, there's a good fight put up by North. I think ultimately Essendon are going to be the more desperate team with finals in the line, and I think they get the job done. But, look, I'm happy to, I'm happy to see North Melbourne win either way. So, yeah. I guess we'll never know, right, Nathan, too, because getting that round 12 encounter and that Sunday twilight came Twilight game, should I say, early back in June and seemed as though the Bombers were about to kick away with the contest in the first quarter and the North went barnstorming back into the contest and basically came down to the final two minutes of the game and, of course, mentioned only a couple of minutes ago with Massimo D'Ambrosio coming on to coming on as a sub in replacement of Dylan Shield kicking that match-winning goal. So, again, we'll find more about it on Saturday and I think it's going to be, I think, closer than what most people think with the contest. We'll turn our attention now to the afternoon game at the SCG, Sydney and Gold Coast. And what a ride of form it's been for the Sydney Swans, right? Since round 14, lost to Brisbane by 16 points. They've won five of their last seven, including that draw against Sydney at the SCG. Well, you think bad hindsight now, they really shot themselves in the foot, kicked six goals, 18-54 that night and arguably should have secured the four points. And, of course, they came away with the draw. We'll start first with the Swans Lineup. Matt Roberts comes into the team. Braden Campbell's the big one. He couldn't get his one match ban overturned. Ryan Clark has been omitted. And Dylan Stevens was last week's sub. As for Gold Coast, Sam Day returns. And as does Tuke Miller after, well, that suspension, of course, on Dane Zorko a couple of weeks ago in the Q Clash. Will Powell is out 
once more. Another nasty ankle injury. Ben King is out with a knee, and James Cheetahs, the sub last week, is also out of the side. So, again, this is a very peculiar sort of match, Nathan, because Gold Coast have had the wood over Sydney, winning three of the last four contests. They also had recorded one of their best wins at the SCG five years ago, which they overcame a 29-point quarter-time deficit to win that afternoon. Don't you get some sort of strange feeling away if they can at least be right up to the contest for 120 minutes or give themselves every hope? But then at the same time, we almost think there's just that slight lapses of concentration which we hark on each week, which ultimately cost them the game. Look, I'm probably not going to overthink this one. Um, obviously, stats sort of show that Gold Coast have, for whatever reason, played Sydney at the SEG very, very well over the last handful of years. Um, but Sydney are in a in a very good um, spot with their form at the moment. And I think that was sort of, you know, ex- um, exclamated last week when they played uh, GWS. You know, their young kids are firing Golden and Warner specifically through the midfield, having that sort of senior body of Callum Mills back in there as well. But I think the big thing that everyone was sort of a little bit concerned about that sort of we were sort of, you know, reassured a little bit last week was the combination of Hayden McLean and Joe Marty up forward. Um, they've sort of, you know, come to the party as such, the Amadi party, I guess. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I think for me, I'm not going to overthink this one when we sort of talk and analyse it. I think across the board, defensively midfield um, and up in the forward line, Sydney probably do have, you know, all the weapons there to win the game. And Again, we talk about desperate teams. Gold Coast is sort of playing for pride at this stage, uh, whereas Sydney is still one of those, you know, five or six teams in the race for the finals. And, you know, if you're going to be a contender and take that spot, you've got to win these sorts of games. And, I think, yeah, as I said, across the board, Sydney are going to be too strong um, for Gold Coast. And I think, you know, the Gold Coast season continues to slip away after so much promise. I think the Swans, the whole run that they get from half back with Ollie Florent and Nick Blakey and also Justin McInerney, who was playing but was ruled out last week as well with a calf injury. I think he's still out for a couple more weeks. So that's another blow as well. But it doesn't really matter too too much because Sydney have got so many of those avenues covered for speed as well. And Errol Golden and I think Fate and Complete once more, a team didn't go to that option in tagging him because he just ran a muck all over the field. I was watching that game last Saturday night just thinking, surely they might have at least thrown some particular curveball at him. But yet again, it was just his destructive damage by foot. Right? I think he had 32 of his 32 of his, disposals he had and 25 of those were kicks and I think he had 677 meters gained and he kicked two goals which were not just two ordinary goals but they were two ripping goals as well in the process so again those whole facet areas with Sydney's speed through midfield and just getting to the hands of Nick Blake who just cuts lines across half back is ultimately hard to stop and especially when you talk about the small dimensions of the SCG when you get from one end to the other within two kicks it's very hard to stop as the opposition's defense so I think that's going to be a big test as well for Sam Collins and Charlie Ballard and Mac Andrew too those trio of defenders for the Suns to really so sort of find a way to stem the Sydney surge too because once they generate those tons of inside 50s if they get over 50 a game then it's ultimately a pretty difficult process to stop as well for the Suns, especially when Sydney, as they are already up and running and wouldn't be surprising if they do make finals. That's my belief on it all. So it should be a good game and hopefully the Suns really give a good account and really shake the tree up. That's what they did probably well, only for one and a half quarters. It's not acceptable enough, but they somehow managed to fight their way back into the contest after what was a pretty 
in no insipid first half, but it was a pretty lethargic first half against Adelaide last Saturday. We'll turn our attention now to Brisbane and Adelaide at the Gabba the Twilight game. And we'll start first with the Brisbane Inns, just the one change as well. Oscar McInerney comes back into the side after missing the Dockers clash through injury. Jasper Fletcher's been omitted. Surprise one there. Darcy Ford, who came into the side for McInerney, has been omitted too. And Devin Robertson, the East from Adel product, was last week's sub. As for Adelaide, Luke Pedler comes back into the team. And unfortunately, Chase Jones has been ruled out for the rest of the season with a foot injury. He's arguably had a career best season too as Chase Jones playing along the wing and short stints at halfback. And Josh Rochelle, that's the big one too. And a major surprise has been omitted. And Rory Slob. Rory Sloan, shall I say, was the sub last week. Of course, Nathan being an Adelaide supporter as well. And the Crows' record at the Gabba is fairly solid against Brisbane, right? Even though the sides haven't played there in a, as much as they would have liked in recent seasons. But I think we only have to go back to round 11 this season, Nathan, where truly believe that Adelaide recorded one of its best wins this season against Brisbane, winning by 17 points that Sunday twilight game. Yeah, 100%. Uh, but I, I think that game also goes back to two very prominent facts within this game that Brisbane, you know, have proven again this year they can't win away from the Gabba um, and the Crows are dominant at home and can't win away from Adelaide Oval. So I think that's what makes this game so intriguing is that, again, we're talking about Brisbane who's in the contention to lock up a top two spot and a home final, which we know is so important. And the Crows, again, another one of those teams in that group, group vying for those last couple of spots in the eight. Um I personally don't hate the Rochelle uh, being dropped. So just to confirm that as well, so Rochelle has been dropped, but the Cubs can confirm that he will be the sub on Saturday, which means that Rory Sloan comes into the 22. I don't hate it. He came back from his two-match suspension last week and was pretty much MIA. So he injecting a young kid who's eager and wants to be out there as a sub, you know, halfway through the third or start of the fourth when the game's potentially on the line, is not, it's a move that I don't hate and I can see paying off he bobbed up as the X factor in the fourth quarter and kicks a couple of goals. I think probably the concern for me from a Crows perspective is as much as we can probably match Brisbane from a forward line and a midfield perspective, it's the back line that does worry me. You know, Jordan Butts, Nick Murray, Tom Dude all out for the rest of the season. And then you add Chase Jones, who sort of played a little bit of back line as well against, you know, a really big and experienced forward line from Brisbane. Anna Heron hit what is your bigs. Uh, Cam Rayner, Jack Gunston, Lincoln McCarthy, Charlie Cameron. You know, it's a really lethal, dangerous forward line when they get going. And we've seen what Brisbane are capable of um, when they do play at the Gabba. And I think that's potentially where the game's going to be won and lost is the inexperience of the Adelaide backline. James Borlase, Josh Worrell, uh, Mark Keane, uh, Max Michelaney. They've had great seasons, but I think when it when it comes to the crunch and these big, important games against seasoned forward lines like Brisbane do have. I think that's where the Crows may come unstuck. It pains me to say, but I think that will be the difference in this game. I think Brisbane are probably just too dominant at home um, and will get the job done. And I think this win for Brisbane will go a long way to them potentially tying up that top two spot and getting that all-elusive home final. I think you spot on the money once more, Nathan, too. That is going to be Adelaide's challenge, too, as well as their defence has performed all season as well. Just those injuries, unfortunately, in the last month have really sort of hit a wall and sort of they found that extra depth as well. And you mentioned, too, James Ball has made his debut last week against Gold Coast and played a very solid debut after 
have to admit as well, I was watching the entire game against Gold Coast and his one-on-one contest work was brilliant too. He just did all the small intangibles, which really set Adelaide away from their defensive 50. So yet again, I think the big part to it as well, just going back to that round 11 clash was the pressure, right? And the pressure was just incredible that afternoon and watching that game too, that was the standout. When he laid, I think it was 24 more tackles than Brisbane, I think that will go a long way too. But once more, I think just trying to put everything together at the same time as well, considering at the Gabba where it's pretty much where Brisbane have just thrived in the last five seasons and it's turned into a fortress for hell for visiting sides, pretty much reminiscent of the great Brisbane Lions sides from basically midway through about, well, basically 2001 to 2004, put it that way. So, Again, I think right from the opening bounce for Adelaide too, the whole litmus test is try to at least win their fair share of clearances as well. That's going to be key if they can do that because at times I think Brisbane have been found out in their backline when I think not just Brisbane alone with their backline but opposition sides too figure out with Colin, of course, with Darcy Moore. If you can make Harris Andrews accountable, then that gives Adelaide every chance of winning. So why can't they approach it that way and look to – devise a plan which at all costs doesn't allow him to just seamlessly walk around all by himself roaming for intercept marks. So that's going to be key going into the contest. And if they can do that, then there'll at least be one box tick out of many for the Crow securing those all-important four points. So we'll see about that as well at the Gabba come the Saturday Twilight Clash. We'll turn our attention now to the two Saturday night games and we'll start first with arguably... We can say the blockbuster game of the round. Carlton and Melbourne, if you have said that at the end of round 12, probably will scratch your head and thought, what's he talking about? But this is it. 7.30 bounced out the MCG. And we'll find out how big the crowd is, right? Because Carlton and Melbourne, normally the crowds aren't, say, 70, 75, 80,000, unless we go all the way back to the 2000 qualifying final. For Carlton, there are no changes to last week's team, which overcame a 22-point deficit against St. Kilda, St. Kilda at halftime to win by 19 points. Ed Kerno was last week's sub. As for Melbourne, Clayton Oliver makes his return from a hamstring injury, his first game back since round 10 against Port Adelaide, and Brody Grundy as well is back inside. James Harms once more has been omitted. Michael Hibbard was the sub last week, and unfortunately, just as, as though Melbourne was looking to just find its forward line mix going forward for these final three games of the home and away season and, and the finals. Harrison Petty is out for the rest of the season with a foot injury. We can say for sure, Nathan, too, that it's a far contrasting outlook to this game than what was back in round 12. And unbelievable, we can point to many different areas as to why the Blues have got clicking during the seven-game winning streak. And as for Melbourne, they're humming along too. Look, I... I am, you know, indifferent at times around Melbourne teams just because I, I do believe there is a bit of bias, you know, whatever else we've talked about before. But I am ex- extremely excited for Saturday night for this game, purely the fact that it's arguably the two hottest teams in the competition right now. As you sort of said, Melbourne have started to figure a couple of things out. Carlton have definitely figured things out and are on the right track to, you know, well-deservingly returning to finals football. I think the difference, though, is their ferocity and hungry, hunger around the contest. You know, we've spoken uh, previously about how, um, you know, light on Carlton are, you know, with a couple of their midfield soldiers, but 
Added Crypt is slowly now returning to the ball-like Brownlow medal form that we saw of last year. Doherty, Hewitt, you know, they're servants of the game there and they're doing their job as well. But I think, you know, it's the role players now for Carlton that have stepped up. Mackay's out. Kerno's got his space as that key forward. But then you've got, you know, Owies and, um, you know, Jack Martin and there's, a, you know, a plethora of names up there now that are, being solid contributing players and they haven't been so far this year and you know they're kicking goals and they're grabbing their jersey and they're getting up in, in, in the crowd it's that energy that's infectious um i think the other thing to this as well as jacob weedering you know there's a lot of questions around his form was he injured or whatever we sort of found out what was going on there with some off-field stuff i think now that that's all sorted we're now sort of seeing the all australian jacob weedering return and that's a massive key we talked about the value of key defenders in the league, and he is one of those guys that we talk about every single week. And I think that stability now that Carlton have in their back line and their runoff halfback, it all flows now. And it's sort of what we've hoped out of Carlton, and we're now finally getting it. I think that's why it's so exciting. And I think for Melbourne, I'm probably now looking at their team a little bit unsure. They found such a groove with, you know, Harrison Petty being this, you know, pseudo forward and coming out of nowhere and kicking goals and, the return of Grundy makes me nervous because, one, we know he's not a forward and, two, we then know what the flow and effect that it potentially has on Max Gorn. We were talking off air before this that Max Gorn's refound that all-Australian form in the last month playing as a solo ruck. He's sort of gone beast mode, I guess, if you want to call it that. And I'm now just worried about what the impact is on Max but also for the team lineup because it's going to change and you're going to have multiple picks now playing up forward, whereas before they sort of went away from it and had those more smaller hybrid forwards. Um, and I'm just not sure how I feel about that. And then the addition of Clayton Oliver, that's the big, been the biggest one for Melbourne and what's the impact he will have straight away? Is there reliance on him to go in the midfield and be that 30-plus Brownlow middle sort of player? Or is he going to play on the fringes? And Viney, who's been in great form at Petrarca, what are they going to do? I mean, I can't wait for this game. And please tell me if I'm wrong, Yuri, but I think the Carlton juggernaut continues. I think they've got the weapons to be able to nullify what Melbourne are good at defensively and offensively. But I think the the moment, momentum is a great thing in sport, and we've seen it. We saw it last year with Geelong reeling off 16 straight right the way through and winning a grand final, and that was infectious and unstoppable. I'm not saying Carlton are going to go on and win a grand final because I don't think they will. But momentum at this time of the season is is massive and infectious. And I think Carlton get the job done. Yeah, it's a, I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever, Nathan, because I think going back to the end of round 13, that loss to Essendon when the players were heading down the tunnel and all all Carlton fans were hurling abuse and the guy was giving to Jack Silvani, telling him that he was a disgrace to the family and take the jumper off. And I think... The biggest part as well, and Michael Voss spoke about it after round 10 defeat to Collingwood, is that we're focusing on defense. And people's ears, I think, sort of pricked up at that answer and said, defense, surely you've got to be focusing about your offense, right? Because that is stale. It's going nowhere. And the problem is when you're kicking so inaccurately in front of the sticks, the 6-15-51 against Sydney, 7-15-57 against Collingwood, that doesn't help. 6-16-52 against Essendon. Poor goal kicking doesn't help whatsoever because basically from I think it was what rounds one to thirteen, Carlton were ranked eighteenth for goal accuracy. Right now I think they're about third. So it's drastic the transformation that has occurred in the last seven weeks. And just the simple tickerings of the game plan. And Julian and I spoke about it last week, how it has transcended a team that was 
basically on its knees at four wins, a draw, and eight losses heading into round 14 against Gold Coast into a side. Holy schmozzles, you cannot believe it's basically a 720 degree turnaround whatsoever, not in the wrong direction, but in the right direction. So, Again, I think a big part too, Nathan, as well, contested ball. And Melbourne, since 2018, have just bullied and beaten up teams on the inside. And that's where Carlton's game has got back to its best. And that's where what we saw at least for three quarters of season 2022 when they were just beating up opponents at will in the coalface and in their clearance game, which has is, is been off the roof, Nathan. I think the last seven weeks during the win streak, it's I think it combined about... 91 or something. So it's unbelievable. They've only lost one clearance count to Port Adelaide. They smashed up West Coast by plus 32, beat up St. Kilda in the second half in clearances. I think it was 22 to 7 alone in the second half. So just those basics that they're doing so well, the fundamentals is the reason why they've got it back. And plus as well, they're not using the boundary line as often as what they were doing for the first 13 rounds. If the option's there in the corridor to take it, take it. Even if it's a risky kick, it's still paying off. So that's a big part too for Carlton. And that was something that was far different to what we saw in that round 12 encounter where, oh, it was hard viewing to watch. So go and give our boys every chance of winning, right? Because you never say never now. And that's the great part about our game because we're not seeing these predictable results where we turn up to the footy and we're thinking, oh, wow, here we go again. This team's going to win by eight, nine goals and pencil in the four points and look forward to next week. No, that's not happening whatsoever. So it's a great thing to see as well. And I think it's full credit as well to Michael Voss and the coaching staff because, and also CEO Brian Cook and President Luke Sayers because it will be super easy just to sort of kick the coop in the bucket and basically pull out another coaching change, whatever it's been the 10th in the last two decades or whatever, how long it's been. So again, they're stuck through thick and thin and they're reaping the rewards at the moment. And again, who knows where it takes them from here. So it should be a great game, no doubt. And I think it's arguably going to be one of the biggest Carlton-Melbourne games I can think of since basically that 2000 qualifying final. So really looking forward to it. We'll turn our attention now to another Western Derby bout between West Coast and Fremantle here at Optus Stadium, 6-10 bounce down. We'll start first with the Eagles changes. Sam Petrescu's season comes back into the team. And Jermaine Jones plays his first game since round 10 against Hawthorne after overcoming an ankle injury. Ryan Marrick is out with a calf. He kicked two goals last week. Jack Williams has been omitted and Greg Clark was the sub last week. For Fremantle, Carl Warner comes back into the team. Ethan Hughes sustained that nasty ankle injury against Brisbane. He's out. And Neil Erasmus, Fremantle's tackling machine, has been omitted. And Matthew Johnson was Fremantle's sub last week. Well, we've seen the last couple of weeks, right, Nathan? I think for Fremantle, they've shown the promising signs. And West Coast too, which I think we thought early on against Essendon in that first quarter, they were going to get blown away by 10-plus goals. But again, the senior players especially Tim Kelly, who's basically done it all year long, stepped up. And I think at least there's some signs that they weren't going to lie down that easily. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. Derby 57 over here in the West, and it's been dubbed the 15th versus 18th grand final. It's uh, it's bizarre. Um, look, you know, th- this game is massive for both of the teams, you know, as is with any, you know, um, rival matchup. You know, you, you want to get the wood over them as well. And I think, as you sort of mentioned, both teams have been in – you know, weirdly okay form over the last couple of weeks. You know, West Coast notching up their first win in forever against North and then, you know, potentially tanking and whatever else against Essendon last week. And, you know, Fremantle ran Brisbane really, really close last week as well. So I, I think, you know, we talk, about, we talk about teams being desperate to make finals. I think both these teams are going to come out and be desperate because 
haven't had the seasons they wanted. Um, and I, I think, you know, Derby wins are almost worth eight points at times because, you know, they are so physically and mentally taxing the crowd as a build-up being a two-team state as well. So, uh, you know, I, look, I think Fremantle, you know, on paper and, you know, through their season are the better team and I'm expecting them to win. But, you, you know, West Coast are slowly getting some of those senior players back in that haven't been there. You know, your McGovern's and Brass, or oh, sorry, Brass is out, but, you know, McGovern in the back line, Yo's back in, in there as well. Tim Kelly's having a really good season. And then potentially being spurred on by the fact that you know that you're losing two club champions in there, Shannon Hearn and, and Luke Shuey as well. You'd hope to see some fight from West Coast as well. And uh, look, it'd be great. I think it'd be a great little story over here in Perth if West Coast did get up and, you know, potentially beating Fremantle cost them Harley Reid and all the storylines and subplots that would come from that. But I think, you know, when you when you look at it realistically, I think Fremantle are the better team. And uh, this is a this is a, a win that Fremantle need to get to sort of build some form of confidence leading into 2024. And given how, you know, disappointing their campaign this year has been with the expectations um, they had on themselves and also externally of the football club leading in as well. I think he's trying to figure out a game plan moving forward into season 2024, Nathan. That's going to be key for Fremantle. And, of course, losing those senior experience players, David Mundy, of course, was the big loss and losing Blake Akers to Carlton, Rory Lobb to Western Bulldogs and Griffin Lowe to North Melbourne, Darcy Tucker also to Kangaroos. Yes, that didn't help matters and having arguably one of the youngest sides in the league. So again, there's some figurings out, but what they've shown the last couple of weeks is the plan that they need to stick to moving forward. And it can serve them well, that pressure gain, the speed on the ball, which arguably suits Fremantle when they're up and firing. So that's going to be key for the Dockers once more come Saturday night and well, West Coast too, that kick chip mark style game, which suits them extremely well. And no doubt they'll be right off for two with Shannon Hearn and Luke Shu, of course, announcing their retirements and such great to the game too for what they've given over the last decade too. So, again, I think it'll be close. And as we saw in round three, it was close right up to three-quarter time until West Coast injury carnage, which they lost five players and ultimately ran out of legs in the final term. We'll turn our attention now to Sunday and we'll start with the first of three with Hawthorne and the Western Bulldogs down at Utah Stadium in Tasmania. For Hawthorne, Jai Ron comes into the team, as does Ned Long, Bailey McDonald and Carl Amon returns from injury. Cam McKenzie was last week's sub. As for the Bulldogs, Alex Keith returns from his concussion. Oscar Baker, the former Demon. Buku Kamas, who's, I think, only his second game this season. Luke Cleary and Jordan Sweet, who has hardly, who hasn't played a game at all this season, the Western Bulldogs. Ruckman, Anthony Scott is out with concussion. And Jason Johannesson, who only returned a couple of weeks ago after, I think it was an eight-week Injury layoff due to a hamstring injury. He's out with a calf, and Arthur Jones was last week's sub. Well, we saw the Bulldogs return, well, back to their vintage best in their first quarter right last Friday night against Richmond Nathan with a nine-goal opening term, and the short mark style of game really served them well and cut up the Tigers and, of course, the usual suspects, Marcus Bontepelli, Tom Liberatore, Adam Trelaw, Tim English, once again stepped up to the fore. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think the biggest thing is Tom Liberatore and Bonton Kelly in combination with Tim English. That is, you know, a, a very handy, you know, potentially, you know, top duo, so trio rather in the league. And the work that Lib is doing at ground level, putting his head over the football and putting the hard ball and then 
you know, Bontempel is a superstar, you know, going forward and kicking three goals in that third quarter ultimately was the difference in a game that was already, you know, a blowout at that stage. I think it was sort of the nail in the coffin. I think the interesting thing for me that I'm looking forward to is, well, there's actually two things, rather, is one, Hawthorne's a young team, and we've spoken a lot about them and their inconsistencies this year. Obviously, they pulled off upset of the week or upset of the year last week against Collingwood, um, and I think that's an understatement, a hundred percent. Can a young team find that hunger again and go again? It would have taken a lot of mental and physical toll on them to execute what they did last week. Um, can they back it up? And I think that's the biggest thing here as well is, you know, Bulldogs are pushing, you know, for that five, six position and trying to make sure they stay in Melbourne for the first week of finals now um, and find some consistency as well, which they've struggled with over the last month or so. The second one is, who does Finn McGuinness go to? I've got a couple of thoughts, but Yuri, I'm going to toss this one to you. Who, Thinking about the job that he did on Dacos and a few others he's done throughout the season, does, does he go to anyone this week? He goes to Bontempelli, and that's just my suggestion about it, Nathan, too. Because when he came back into the side ahead of their round 16 clash against Carlton, they at least found a position for him moving forward. And since basically round 17 against the Giants, which he limited Josh Kelly to six touches, he limited Harry Sheasel's impact, he limited Daniel Rioli's impact, he also limited Jack Sinclair's impact. So I think first things first, you go to that spot right there, and that's Marcus Bontempelli, because that's pretty much where the whole chain reaction begins. It begins in the middle with him and Liberatore just bulking clearances at will and also in the contested possession because I think that's the big thing when looking through Marcus Bontempelli. We think of his ease, grace and class on the outside, but his contested ball work and clearances is second to none. And I think God be super wary about that. And I think really for Hawthorne too, they've done a great job in using tactics which are going to serve them extremely well and it served them extremely well last Saturday against Collingwood and again they'll have to be right on cue for from the opening bounce and I think just be able to have that alone to use on Bontempelli I think it's a good way to start because if you can at least shut him out like what the Giants did with Callum Ward only a couple of weeks ago after the first quarter limiting Bontempelli to 14 touches for the rest of the game it can at least serve Hawthorne extra purpose and perhaps pull off yet another upset win because I think what we saw last week is the helter-skelter football which Hawthorne has produced this season, which they love to use the handball chains through to the middle of the corridor to generate their attacking forays. They can do that and the Bulldogs' defence, which can get very scratchy at times and very nervous with ball in hand, you do that most of the time get over and get over more than whatever 50 or 55 inside 50s boy, you're going to be right in the game. So look for that for the Hawthorne because if they're young, enthusiastic players like Josh Weddle just bouncing along the wings and Connor McDonald and the name of John Newcomb and just the whole bunch of young nucleus that they've got there, it can worry the Bulldogs, Nathan. Yeah, it's an interesting interesting one. I always sort of pictured Marcus Bontempelli as being almost an untaggable player and then you know Callum Ward sort of did a fantastic job on him a fortnight ago and I think that specifically was the catalyst to, one, slowing down the Bulldogs, but two, then spurring on that comeback that ultimately resulted in GWS um, stealing that game over the Bulldogs at Ballarat. And, you know, I, I think when you have a young team, you give, uh, you know, minimal and simple messages. And if the message you're giving to Finn McGuinness is, run with Marcus Bontempelli, and you're a kid, you're like a deer in headlights, and that's your job, and you just follow him wherever he goes, 
And I think that's sort of the great thing about having a young team that Sam Mitchell does is they're still so young and impressionable and you give them simple, easy, limited tasks, you know, that doesn't require a lot of thought process and they're slowly getting it done. So I think it's been really, really good to see Hawthorne develop throughout the year. But again, look, I think the Bulldogs are, you know, in a different phase of their, you know, their journey to, you know, towards September and a premiership potentially as well. And we spoke about, you know, Jacob Weedering sort of coming around and finding form. It's the same for um um for for Liam Jones and the Bulldogs. You know, he was sorely missed when he went out with his um with his arm injury what six, eight weeks ago and then the impact that he had last week returning with a spoiling and impacting of contest. I think, you know, the impact and influence that he has, again, goes a long way to sort of what the Bulldogs look to achieve with that wave running. So I think the Bulldogs get the job done here. Yeah, same as well too, Nathan. It's a must-win game, which they can't afford to drop. We'll turn our attention now to the Sunday afternoon game at Docklands, St Kilda and Richmond. It's the second meeting between the teams after that round four, 14 encounter at the MCG. And, of course, that second half was a pretty soggy affair. The rain really came down during the half. And, of course, that was Trent Cotchin's 300th game, and he had a 300th game to remember finishing with 29 touches, two goals. I think he had about 15 contested possessions as well for the former skipper. We'll start first with the St Kilda lineup changes. Seb Ross comes back into the team. I think it's been a month since he did his hamstring. Tim Membry, too,'s had an injury-riddled campaign. Jack Billings and Ben Patton. Anthony Caminiti's been omitted. And Liam Stocker was last week's sub. As for the Tigers, Dylan Grimes comes back into the team. He was a late out last week. Dustin Martin's back after being managed. Hugo Rousmith, Thompson Dow, and Samson Ryan. Noah Cumberland is out injured, and Jacob Hopper, of course, suffered that concussion and is being placed under the league's mandatory 12-day concussion protocols. Well, I think we see as this, Nathan. St. Kilda want to lock the game up, as they've done all season, and Richmond just want to get speed on the ball. I think that's the sort of the way we have to look at how Sunday's encounter will fare. I've looked at this game all week, and I just can't put my finger on what this is going to be. St. Kilda have been a letdown in the second half of the season, and Richmond's probably not the team we thought they were going to be when we were all doing our predictions at the start of the year. And, you know, I, I think, you know, Dustin Martin and Dylan Grimes back in, you know, that helps. Um, but St. Kilda for me is is the one that I can't put my finger on. You know, they cost themselves that game after a really good start against Carlton last week and they've thrown away other games they should have won throughout the, the back end or post-buys, really. Um, and then Richmond, you know, they're up and down. They've played some really, really good football since, um, you know, Andrew McCold has taken over, but then they've been really disappointing. You only get back as far as last Friday night where the game was over within the first quarter. Um, so is the Marvel curse real? Potentially, but... I think for whatever reason that the curse ends this week, more so because I, I, I just I don't see St Kilda playing finals. I don't think they're a finals team. And it's symptomatic of St Kilda's season to lose a game to a team that's not in the eight to then cost themselves that spot. Look, it's a hard one. I've struggled to put my finger on both these teams this year due to their inconsistencies, I think. Um I'm going with a hunch. I don't know what way this game's going to go. The betting markets are pretty much struggling to split them two, and I'm in the same boat. Uh, yeah, it's hard to put rationale behind this game because, you know, they're two teams that have just been so inconsistent all year. Yeah, I think I got Richmond, Nathan. I think for the first time since round nine, 2021, they got a win under the roof at Docklands. And St Kilda's scoring has been, well, 
you can at least say well documented this season. They've always reached 100 points twice this season, round four against Gold Coast and, of course, a couple of weeks ago against Hawthorne. But it's always been that Ross under Ross Lyons' sides at St Kilda in particular where scoring hasn't really been the number one main point in a way too and hasn't really been on top of the agenda. It's all been about lockdown defence as well and basically – clogging up one end of the field and making it very difficult for the opposition to access from their back 50 and really get that smooth transition going. But I think the Tigers will find a way. And, of course, I think they've won three of the last five against St. Kilda, Docklands, and most of them have come pretty comfortably too. So I think the Tigers will win and somehow keep those flickering, I'll say flickering finals hopes alive heading into the final two rounds after this week. We'll turn our attention now to the final game of round 22. Port Adelaide and GWS at the Adelaide Oval. And Port, well, they've lost their last four. We'll start first with their lineup changes. Aaliyah Lear comes back into the team after that nasty concussion knock in the showdown as well a couple of weeks ago. Kane Farrell as well, who's had a great season. Jeremy Finlayson, Lockie Jones too does return. He was also involved in that nasty collision with Aaliyah, Aaliyah early in that second term. Quinton Narkel and Miles Bergman. And out for Port Adelaide, Jackson Mead, Riley Bond has been omitted, and Trent McKenzie, of course, is out for the next four to five weeks with that knee injury. And Jackson Mead was last week's sub. As for the Giants, Jacob Ware, Toby McMullen as well, and also Connor Stone, Matt Flynn, and Josh Fay out for the Giants. Well, these are two big ones as well. Brent Daniels and Toby Bedford both serving one-match suspensions. I think the key, Nathan, too, as well for the Giants as well is that forward 50 tackling pressure, which they're ranked number one in the comp this year. If they can get down full display, it'll at least go a long way too. And Port Adelaide, at least trying to reverse the tide and get back some form as they were doing during their 13-game winning streak. Yeah, look, I, I, I look at those six ins. I know that they're all, you know, not confirmed yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if all six of those names come in for Port Adelaide. Um, but some with illness out last week and, you know, some returning from those concussion protocols. I mean, look at the names. They're sort of their bookend players. It's their forwards and their, their defensive players. And I think that's what sort of cost Port Adelaide a little bit last week. Ed Midfield was fantastic. Rosie Butters. Oak, Drew, Horn, Francis, you know, you can name them all. Um, it was defensively they got let down a little bit. You know, um, Ollie Henry got let off the train a little bit. Gary Rowan bobbed up. Um, and then offensively, you know, you had Todd Marshall sort of put in a good showing last week. But outside of that, Junior Robel, Willie Rowley, sorry, was there. But outside of that, they didn't really have a lot of support. You know, so Finn Lacey's back. Quinton Narkel I like as a player. Hopefully he comes in and sort of adds that spark as well. And then I think defensively, Aaliyah, uh, Farrell, Jones, and uh, Bergman, all key cogs in their sort of defensive unit. That's what Port Adelaide need. They sort of built a lot of what they, um, you know, had across that 13 game win streak. One on their midfield work, which is fantastic. But so they're sort of defensively being a really sound defensive team led by Alir and, you know, by um, like Lockie Jones was in there a little bit. Tom Jonas is back in the mix as well. So it's good to see. GWS, obviously a little bit of a blip last week. I think their, their inevitable win streak was going to come to an end. I didn't think it was going to be against Sydney. But, you know, they played the ground well. They beat the Crows here a couple of weeks ago. And it's sort of a team that you can't write off either. They sort of keep fighting and, you know, tooth and now right at the end. They've seen, we've seen them e-cat wins in the last, you know, minutes of games at times as well. But, you know, Bedford sort of been a bit of a spark plug for them up forward um, over the last month or so in that win streak. So he's going to be a big loss and a big shoes to fill. And same with Brent Daniels as well. He's sort of that little 
spark plug player as well for them. So, again, massive ramifications on the line here. Port Adelaide need to get back on track, you know, from a winning perspective and sort of try and stay in contention for that top two that we've spoken about all year and how important it is. And then DWS, again, another one of those teams in contention for that top eight spot. Look, I, I, I think for me, Port Adelaide probably get back on track here. Um, I think defensively, they're getting a lot of their key players back that they've missed. Jeremy Finlayson will add that sort of height in the back line that they've been, in the forward line that they sort of missed a little bit last week. Um, and I do expect them to get the job done. But I'm looking forward to a really fierce, tight, contested battle on Sunday afternoon, which I think is what this game will be. I think it'll be a lot more fierce than last last season's contest as well, which was an absolutely schmozzling in Port Adelaide's favour. I think they won by 55 points that Saturday night and the Giants only kicked, I think it was three goals, 11-29 and just couldn't get anything going whatsoever. But I don't think we're going to see that in the final game for round 22. And I don't think it'd be be a surprise whatsoever if the Giants win. There's just that inkling feeling. I just don't know why. Even though Bedford and Daniels are out, they've got to try and just find a little bit of, innovation in terms of their 450 pressure and I think that's where it's going to really come down to the midfielders as well and Canelo of course has had a great season Josh Kelly in there too and down across half back as well of Lockie Ash and Lockie Whitfield just providing so much that running carry too and Jack Buckley and Sam Taylor just basically being the one-two clamping punch in the way down back as well and just stemming opposition forwards week in week out so I think everything's there for the Giants and it just, again, sort of rounded all out. It wouldn't be surprising if they do secure the four points. There's just something within that says the Adelaide Oval isn't a scary fortress. As you touched upon, Nathan, too, they beat Adelaide and they had their back to the walls on a number of different occasions as well during that cross clash. So you can see that happening again come Sunday too. And if they do win, it's going to go absolutely a long way as well to making finals because they got a home game against Essendon the following week and, of course, they travel to play Carlton in the very final game of the 2023 home and away season. Well, that does it here for the Mojo Sports Network for the Round 22 preview. Is there anything you want to plug, Nathan, as well for the upcoming week? Yep, so the Tuesday show, myself, Ash and Callum will be on board uh, to review uh, all of Round 22. Um, hopefully some Crows, Carlton and Port Adelaide wins there for us to talk about on uh, Tuesday. Uh, plenty to discuss, Nathan, and awesome. Thank you, everyone, for joining the show as well and previewing and tuning in and dissecting what should be an absolutely captivating round 22. Nathan, thank you for joining us as always on the show, and we'll look forward to chatting again next week when Julian does join us as well for the trio segment as well for the round 23 AFL preview here on the Mojo Sports Network. <laughs>